0: Welcome to the Circular Economy Podcast by the Ellen MacArthur Foundation.
1: This is a Circular Economy Show podcast produced by the Ellen MacArthur Foundation, where we develop and promote the idea of a circular economy, engage key actors to make it happen, and mobilize system solutions at scale. My name is Maya Adams, and I'm part of the learning team here at the Foundation, and I'll be your host for this episode. In this episode, we'll be speaking about Extended Producer Responsibility, or EPR, and we will hear from Guillermo Gonzalez, the head of the Circular Economy Office at the Chilean Ministry of Environment, Dr. Martin Dubois, the project lead of Circular Economy and Plastics at the OECD, Dr. Sarah Wingstrand, the program manager of the New Plastics Economy at the Ellen MacArthur Foundation, and Matthew Demarez, the Global Corporate Affairs Director at Unilever. This conversation was originally moderated by Louise Boyle, the senior climate correspondent from The Independent. Just a reminder, this episode of the Circular Economy Show podcast is based on a recent conversation that we had as part of our Circular Economy Show program. If you'd like to watch the whole show, you can find the link in the episode description. Are you wondering what exactly extended producer responsibility is? Well, today I'm joined by Ambrogio Miserocchi from the Ellen MacArthur Foundation's New Plastic Economy team to tell us exactly what that means and why it's important. Hi, Ambrogio. Hi, Maya. So, what is a circular economy for packaging?
2: Well, circular economy for packaging really means that the packaging we place on the market never becomes waste or pollution. And this means that the packaging has to be reusable, recyclable or compostable in practice and at scale. But uh, when we talk about the circular economy for packaging, there are some steps that we need to keep in mind if we really want to transition to a circular economy. And, and and the different steps are basically to eliminate the packaging we don't need, innovate so that packaging is reusable, recyclable, or compostable. But then we also need to make sure that we keep it in the economy and out of the environment. And this is to circulate the packaging that we place on the market.
1: Great. So. Elimination and innovation are the priority stages in achieving a circular economy for packaging. But what if they can't work?
2: Indeed, that's very true. And it's a very good question. We definitely must eliminate what we don't need and innovate for reusable models. uh, And this is really the priority. But as you said, there might be some circumstances that are not suitable for either elimination or innovation. And when that's the case, we really need to make sure that the packaging and also the packaging materials that we place on the market can be circulated. And you may wonder why this is not already working at scale globally. And the reason is really that there are still challenges to overcome when it comes to collection, sorting and recycling, composting or processing of the packaging that we place on the market. And these challenges is what we need to uh, to address now.
1: So could you tell us a little more about those challenges?
2: Surely. So, well... We always need to remember that we need to design the packaging in a way that can be circulated. However, the main challenge is that the economics currently do not stick up. And this means that it costs more to collect, sort and recycle or compost uh, than the money you make by selling the recycled or composted material. And that is really true for the majority of packaging materials as well as in most geographies. And it's really this unbalance between the cost and the price that is what we need to solve now.
1: Excellent. So what is the extended producer responsibility and what role can it play in a circular economy for packaging?
2: As I said, a net cost exists between the process of collection, sorting and recycling and the price of the recycled materials. And to close this gap, we need funding. And we need funding that is dedicated, ongoing and sufficient if we really want a solution that works in the long term. And if we look at the the, the three criteria that I just said, so dedicated, ongoing and sufficient. Dedicated means that the funding, the money raised is ring-fenced to activities related to collection, sorting and recycling of the packaging. Ongoing means that it's guaranteed on an ongoing basis to work in the long term. And then sufficient means that the money is sufficient to achieve the objectives that we want to achieve. And you ask me, what is the role that EPR can play? And when we look at all the options existing out there, we see that mandatory extended producer responsibility is the only proven way to provide such funding. And this is to ensure that the structural economic viability works. And this is required to attract and deris the necessary investments to scale the processes for circulating the packaging and the packaging material.
1: Thanks for that great explainer, Ambrogio. So for a listener who doesn't exactly know what extended producer responsibility is, could you give me a quick 30-second crash course on on what it is?
2: Definitely. And I like this because it's a very complex topic. But mandatory EPR, so extended producer responsibility, means that whoever introduces packaging into a country's market remains responsible for that packaging also after its use. And this basically create, uh, through this mechanism, we create a level playing field for all the stakeholders and that all the stakeholders are equally responsible for the packaging on the market. And there is one approach, which is the most common approach for mandatory EPR, for packaging. And I can make a very short summary. It basically looks like this. So we have an organization that puts packaging on the market Then there is a producer responsibility organization, or PRO, that collect the fees from that organization. And then the fees go towards activities related to collection, sorting, and recycling of the packaging. And this is to achieve set targets and set objectives.
1: Thank you for that explanation. So, for the first time, more than 100 businesses in the packaging value chain and more than 50 other organizations publicly recognize the extended producer responsibility, or EPR. Some of these big endorsers include Danone, H&M, Unilever, Walmart, Tetra Pak, the European Investment Bank, and WWF. Let's hear from Dr. Sarah Wingstrand, the Program Manager of the New Plastics Economy at the Ellen MacArthur Foundation, on why this EPR statement is different from the previous work done on EPR.
3: This statement is important because, first of all, It is the first time that such a large group of stakeholders, as Ambro already mentioned, and such a diverse group of stakeholders are coming together to very explicitly recognize that we need EPR. Otherwise, we will not solve the problem of packaging waste and pollution. We will not create a circular economy uh, overall. Um, Then I think it's also very interesting to note that this group of stakeholders actually include Some of the businesses that in the end will take on this responsibility and they're stepping forward, agreeing with this statement and saying they're ready to take on this responsibility, which is a massive step forward. And especially if we look at for for some of these companies, that was certainly not the case uh, a couple of years ago. Um, So so really a massive step forward. And, And we, of course, hope that this type of statement can be used by Governments around the world to actually start a conversation and a dialogue on EPR uh, to really work out how do we, how do we actually design well-designed EPR schemes? How do we implement them? Uh, how do we continuously improve? But also really to catalyze uh, the implementation of, of EPR um, globally.
1: Now, what do leading brands and retailers think about EPR? Let's have Unilever's Matthew Demarees take.
0: I think the starting point really has to be that brands have to take responsibility for their packaging. So, you know, we're not okay with seeing our brands ending up in the environment. Um, But at the same time, when that happens, it's actually wasting, you know, a massive resource to us, which is our packaging. So, well-designed EPR systems provide a framework for tackling both of those challenges – by asking businesses to effectively play almost like a service charge, you know, you, for the collection, the sorting and the processing. And so I'm sure that raises questions as kind of, you know, why would you want to pay? Why are you putting your hand up? Um, and I think, you know, when you look across the board at the kind of, you know, different policy solutions and other solutions out there, it should be one of the most efficient and effective ways for us to tackle the problem when it's designed correctly. So that rationale is set out in the paper, you know, really clearly, you know, in terms of kind of an ongoing and sufficient, um, sufficient funding stream. Um, That, you know, a mandatory system creates a level playing field, which is absolutely critical. But most importantly of all, you know, it drives the right environmental outcomes by putting money into the right places. So one of the phrases I always use is that, you know, money that's raised in the system stays in the system. And that's really critical when you compare it to kind of other measures. So, for instance, if you introduce a tax, there's no guarantee that that money will be used as dedicated funding for things like waste collection and um, and processing. Whereas actually, you know, in an EPR system, that should be the case, as I said, if it's designed correctly. So, in theory, you know, those that contribute to the system get a little bit more bang for their buck. Um, and that's really important to us because actually what we want to see are better waste management systems you know, not only to reduce leakage but also to drive up recycling rates um, organisations like ourselves we have really ambitious commitments in terms of the amount of recycled plastic we want to use in our packaging um, but you know, that's dependent in terms of, kind of the availability and the quality of material that's out there so in terms of EPR systems being able to help unlock that that's fantastic you know, that's what our consumers want to see
1: Let's move on to hear a perspective coming from an international organization like the OECD. Here is Dr. Martin Dubois, the project lead of Circular Economy and Plastics.
4: Ex- and producer responsibility is a game changer in the sense that it creates a market that doesn't exist beforehand. So it's the it's step from going zero to one that's so difficult, getting the operational system running. Once it runs, you can go from one, two, three, four. You can refine the system as you want, but it's really about uh, getting the market uh, created. And there's something very, there are two very nice things about extended producer responsibility. And the first thing is that it's structural, it's it's economy wide, it applies to all producers. It's not about, uh, are we going to do something? Let's go, come on, all of you, do it and do it now. And the second thing is that it's self sustaining. Once the train of EPR has started, there's no returning. And that's what we see if we look around the world uh, where systems have been implemented. In the first decade you get enormous performance improvement, but even the years after you see further refinements, further extending the scope of EPR to other domains than what it was initially meant for so that's I think that's the answer it's it's one of the few solutions that have such a significant or have the potential to have a significant impact and help to foster circular economy markets.
1: The metaphor of an EPR train offers an exciting image that the momentum around EPR is gaining. Let's hear more from Dr. Dubois.
4: It's about making sure that the financial incentives are present. You've got this compliance obligation. Actually, you turn a a desire to be sustainable. You turn it into a a requirement for your license to operate. If You do not have the the necessary recycling capacity installed or or contracted as, uh, as a producer simply run out of business. Eh? So the whole mindset changes, the structural incentives are there, and that is in a certain way what markets, what, what people are good at, eh? once the, the, the need is high enough, finding solutions. And, and that's what you see everywhere. In the beginning, it's always challenging once the operational system starts. then suddenly investors are looking at it, companies are making profits, and that's what, what that's when you get a thriving ecosystem, and that's in a certain way what, what, yeah, what we all desire and what, what functions.
1: Another important piece in the puzzle is government action. The Chilean government in particular has been a trailblazer in implementing circular economy principles and is adopting a national circular economy roadmap as part of its national determined contributions to tackle climate change. It is also the first Latin American country to be part of the Ellen MacArthur Foundation's Plastic Pack Network and is currently engaged with implementing EPR regulation. Let's hear more from Guillermo González, the head of the Circular Economy Office at the Chilean Ministry of Environment. Uh,
5: The initial discussions started to take place in Chile in the year 2008, as uh, 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 EPR was being massively deployed in European countries. Uh, In 2010, uh, Chile joins the OECD, and one one of the commitments that Chile makes is to um, implement uh, EPR, um, but that, that's that's a commitment that then you, you need to see in in, uh, in action. And then in that same year, 2010, we had a massive earthquake in Chile um, in February of 2010, and and we there, there was a, a need for more uh, uh, public revenues. Uh, there was a tax reform, and when the tax reform came up, um, the president said, "Okay, we're going to tax um, packaging companies in order to to fund this." And then packaging companies went like, "Oh no 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 no." There's this thing called EPR, why don't we do that? And, and I would say it's exactly for the same reasons um, that, um, that were, were just mentioned before, because it really, um, it, the, you, you will put money into the system, but you know what the results you're going to get are. In 2013, a bill was sent to Congress by President Piñera, a center-right uh, uh, president. It was approved in the year 2016 by a center-left Administration by President Bachelet's administration. So I think I want to highlight that other point. This has been nonpartisan. It's not something that's that's been uh, um, an issue of the left or of the right. And there's been a cross aisle support, which I, which I think is also really important. And in uh, 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 March of this year, we approved the regulation uh, where we actually set the targets. You need. We need EPR. But we need good EPR schemes, right? And in that sense, I think the process, although it was, it took us some time. I think it was worthwhile, yeah, because we actually really got to, um, uh, really got to uh, uh, a regulation that is now praised by the public sector. You know, which is which is really uh, amazing.
1: Now, let's take a step back and look at the general trends around EPR with Matthew.
0: In emerging markets, in particular. Um, how they're looking at this is potentially as a long-term kind of transition to you know a more formalised waste management system. This is not an easy thing to do. We've just heard the discussion about time scales. Um, the devil's in the detail. Every market requires a tailored solution. You cannot drag and drop European systems into other markets. It doesn't work like that. It requires you know, a lot of that groundwork to be done with the local stakeholders. And the paper acknowledges that there's a role for things like voluntary initiatives as an important step then to learn and inform. And we can see that in markets like Indonesia. So the fact that you're starting to see in places like Southeast Asia, these discussions, again, kind of rising up is, is a kind of development. I think the second one would be, in terms of EPR systems being able to reward the right behaviours. I think, you know, Martin just alluded to it just in his comments as well, which is that you have incentives built in. So, you know, there's conversations within Europe about modulated fees, which is effectively how do the fee structures incentivise the use of recyclable packaging? Um, And so suddenly you're actually driving, you know, the the kind of um, upstream kind of behaviours as well as actually building the infrastructure. And I think, finally, uh, the kind of critical part, which we've we've kind of all covered, is um, the why is important, which is what this paper covers. But the most critical aspect, then, is actually how you do this. Um, And, you know, it's amazing, you know, in terms of kind of the amount of shared experience and knowledge we've got across, you know, different organizations. Um, You know, I'm part of a group called the Consumer Goods Forum. And, you know, together there, we've kind of acknowledged the role that EPR can play and actually created some principles as kind of an industry Um, to help inform that process and in discussions with government. Um, You know, things like we need to have strong environmental outcomes, That it needs to be transparent, accountable. Um, And it builds on the paper that you've got today from the Ellen MacArthur Foundation as it's very much that next stage of the discussion. Um, And it's really exciting to see that you've got this kind of critical mass then coming together. It's no longer just a few organisations who do have that clear point of view.
1: To this point, Guillermo gives a great example of what's happening in Chile.
0: I think the plastic's... Um, the realization that we
5: have this global plastics problem and that we need to address it in, in, in local ways, uh, uh, I think that that's really gathered uh, momentum for, for EPR. Now, um, this is, as, as has been said, this is a public good type of problem. You know, I'm a company, I need. I want to go and collect um, my packages after they've been used. And how do I do that on my own? It's not something I can do on my own, right? And, and EPR... Uh, as has also been said, um, generates this level playing field. And so you get get everyone on board and we do it all together, right? Um, And uh, um, I think that it's especially important in countries like ours. Uh, Matt said something about this. Um, Emerging economies like Chile, right? Um, What you have is that in in some developed nations, it's municipalities that just went and and established um, separate collection schemes and recycling, uh, door to door recycling. That's not something that municipalities can do in our countries, you know? So, uh, what you have EPR doing here is, is really deploying this, a uh, large scale collection schemes, you know, in our EPR scheme on top of the, of the targets per ton, you know, we established uh, specific collection targets, you know, um, it by, uh, it, this is a 12 year process that will start now, right? But oh, after those 12 years, we will get, uh, to 80% of our households in Chile, uh, with door to door collection, where today it's only about 2%, you know? So it really allows you to tell your, and, and that's why I think it's also important and, and it's, uh, it's relevant for, for corporations because you, you tell your consumers, you know, this is recyclable, but then you will have a truck going in front of your house taking your recyclable packaging, you know. And that's not something that in our countries municipalities can do on their own. EPR is is fundamental. We cannot do it without EPR.
1: Now, I think it's really interesting to think about what else we need for a circular economy for packaging. Sarah Wingstrom, the program manager of the New Plastics Economy at the Ellen MacArthur Foundation, gives us her take.
3: EPR traditionally focuses quite downstream on how we collect and actually get the packaging back we need to make sure that we have the upstream component with us as well, so really focusing on eliminating the packaging we don't need, designing the packaging in a way that it can be circulated, and of course also switching to new delivery models like reuse, for example, and um, that design out waste um, in the first place. So, so that's the one thing that we really need, but then also in the paper that we launched today, and um, we also make it very clear that actually EPR is one policy tool, right, but an Order to enable a circular economy, you need to have a comprehensive circular economy approach. And, and there we actually use our uh, universal circular economy um, policy goals, which is a framework that has been developed by the Alpha Foundation um, to help set up such a comprehensive strategy overall. So we actually use that um, to take a deep dive into packaging and also go into what are some of the other complementary policies that. That can be that, that, that can also enable the circular economy overall. Um, and then finally, we, we of course need um, more businesses to come to come on board, more voluntary initiatives and, and uh, you know, so much more.
1: <laughs> Guillermo also agrees with Sarah on the need to focus on upstream solutions by looking at how we can eliminate the packaging we don't need and also at looking at the reuse models that help us keep products and materials in use.
5: Uh, EPR does have some tools um, to affect what's happening upstream. So we have been looking at uh, a state-of-the-art kind of tools like eco-modulated fees, uh, which means that uh, packages that are difficult to recycle will pay more than those that are easy to recycle, right? Um, and and we introduce that in our in our regulation. That's something that that's like sort of like the, uh, in the two Sort of EPR schemes for packaging, and we decided to introduce them straight away. So we sort of like leapfrogged on on that issue. And we also introduced something that's quite novel. Um, that's a, uh, it's an incentive for companies that can reduce packaging. And I won't go into the details, but it does have some, um, that we do, um, uh, uh, tell companies if you reduce packaging of course you're gonna, you're gonna pay less because you're gonna you pay per ton, right But this is an additional incentive in order to to go further you know and, and in that sense you can introduce some um, devices within EPR regulation to, to also generate some incentives upstream.
1: What I'm hearing from this conversation is that collaboration and a range of solutions are needed to stop packaging pollution. Let's hear more from Matthew on how Unilever is making progress.
0: Um, So I think what we've learned on our journey as Unilever is, you know, there's absolutely no silver bullet. Um, You know, you've got a suite of solutions that are required um, based on, you know, innovation, collaboration and execution. Because at the end of the day, we have commitments. We've made, you know, stretching commitments in 2017 and 2019. But actually what everyone wants to see is real progress, tangible progress, you know, what what packaging is changing on shelf. Um, And, you know, I think the first kind of challenge is kind of considering how do we actually reduce the amount of packaging the plastic packaging we use in the first instance so we have a commitment to remove you know more than 100,000 tons um, of plastic packaging and that's by leveraging new business models like reuse and refill that sarah mentioned um, actually in chile where guillermo is you know we've worked with an organization there called um, El Gramo, which is a community-based uh, refill system with kind of smart bottles And it's based on an app and people basically uh, can order on their phones. But what we're seeing is, you know, like a 60% repeat rate. So actually it's doing quite well. And if you tailor the responses, you're able to find solutions to be able to take packaging waste out um, and actually create new ways of engaging with our consumers, which is fantastic. I think in addition to that, it's making sure that the packaging we do use that actually has a value and can be recycled. Um, you know, this was the upstream part that Sarah was just mentioning, you know, and that is reliant on technology, um, a new solution. So, um, toothpaste tubes have obviously, you know, always been quite difficult to recycle. There's kind of, you know, multiple layers to them. And actually what we've seen is, uh, you know, a massive shift, and we, we recently announced something ourselves around kind of recyclable toothpaste tubes where you actually go to kind of a single type of plastic Um, And that makes it easier to recycle. And then finally, it is about getting that collection and processing right. You know, the role that EPR plays is absolutely paramount to that. And I did talk about, you know, we want to use high levels of recycled plastic. You know, that's absolutely, you know, kind of like the the foundation, I think, in terms of kind of where we want to be. Um, And so actually unlocking, as I said, the quality, the availability, but also making sure that we can do that at the scale that we need to, you know, for an organization of our side is, is, is paramount and then the only other thing i you know completely agree with what sarah said about complementary policy tools um you know what we need to look at are kind of actually what are the things we need to create some of these broader shifts so we've mentioned new business models like reuse and refill there's a huge debate to have there um, going forward in terms of actually how do we make sure that we normalise those kind of systems? Actually, kind of how do we change behaviour? So is it actually you know, we need to set you know specific targets um, on those new business models? Or are there incentives that we need to help with their development? That's kind of you know hugely exciting stuff.
1: As Matthew has illustrated, there are currently many ways that EPR is influencing packaging collection, sorting and recycling. It is essential to understand the context, the local expertise and who the key actors are when implementing EPR, as Matthew has highlighted.
0: That principle around when you're starting to look at kind of introducing EPR, you know, we've already kind of covered this point, you can't copy and paste it. But I think Martin said it, the principles are consistent. And what you have, I think, are kind of organisations who have got experience and knowledge um, and have some of those already forms. So I've mentioned the Consumer Goods Forum, OECD, you know, NGOs like WWF. And it is about building that local coalition. You know, we've got great expertise in certain places that we can come together and actually take, you know, some of those learnings, you know, kind of what works in one market won't necessarily translate, but what what you can understand is kind of the process of how they got there um, and that there are some basic kind of exercises you know actually understanding kind of your material flows understanding kind of the data that underpins how you actually set you know kind of recycling targets all these different bits and pieces that's like the groundwork and then there's kind of a piloting voluntary initiative state and then that actually puts you in a position where you can probably implement so um, it very much is kind of a step-by-step process
1: Guillermo, from the Chilean government, agrees with Matthew's point on the need to pay attention to local context when looking to implement EPR.
5: So I think it's important to, to say why they have to be tailored. Uh, and, I, and I think that um, the answer has to do with the fact that EPR is not something that works up in the air. It's something that, that really has to um, work with existing institutions and, and geographies. You know, it's not the same to implement EPR in the Netherlands. A small country, um, as opposed to Chile, you know, four thousand kilometers from north to south, you know, with very remote areas. So that that those two things are very different. It's very different when you have very active municipalities, as I said before, or very um, municipalities municipalities with very limited capacities. Um, it's very different if you have an informal sector that's really strong, you know, and and you need to you need to include them in 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 some way, which is what we did, you know. So. Um, the local uh, realities are so different that there's not, there's definitely not a, 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 a one one solution here.
1: And that's all we have time for today. It has been a really interesting conversation with many different complex ideas. So before we leave, Ambro, could you tell us your top three takeaways from this conversation?
2: I think that the first key takeaway is really that there is now broad alignment and that there is this global recognition that the only way to provide dedicated, ongoing, and sufficient funding is through extended producer responsibility schemes. And at the same time, I think it's very much important that now we understand and realize that EPR schemes are a necessary part of the solution to packaging waste and pollution in the transition to a circular economy for packaging. The second one is really that Even if we don't have all the answers on how to implement EPR in every single geography around the world, uh, basically not making it work is not an option. So we really need to make it work and we need to sit down around the table and discuss on how to do it uh, in all geographies. And then there is one last key takeaway that I would like to highlight and is that now it's clear what the solution we need looks like. Now we really need collaboration for urgent action across the value chain. And uh, in the conversation, it was mentioned the importance of public private collaboration to make this work. And then the last one that I want to highlight is that now it's clear what the solution we need looks like. Now what we need is really collaboration for urgent action across the value chain. And for example, during the conversation it was mentioned the importance of public private collaboration in order to make this work. So we are really going in the direction, uh, in the right direction to address packaging waste and pollution at its source. And through this approach, we can really accelerate the transition toward the circular economy for packaging.
1: So as a listener who wants to know more, where should I go to find out about EPR?
2: Well, we had a very interesting conversation, but of course, we touched upon just a few of the elements of the EPR publication that people can find on the LM Foundation website.
1: So listeners, don't forget to subscribe, like, and share our podcast to help spread the word. Again, to see the full conversation this podcast is based on, please look up The Circular Economy Show on the Ellen MacArthur Foundation website. Thank you for listening in, and we'll see you next time on The Circular Economy Show podcast.
0: Thanks for listening to The Ellen MacArthur Foundation Circular Economy podcast. Don't forget to share, rate, and subscribe.